the message today actually we're going to talk about is the proper response to adversity. And, um, you know, I once heard it said that there were only two guarantees in this world. One was death, and the other, of course, you know, was taxes. All right? Everybody talks about that. It's death and taxes. That's the only thing that's guaranteed. Well, I got another one for you. Um, that third guarantee is troubles. All right? you, there is troubles or known as, sometimes known as trials or tribulations. And even the mere mention of the word kind of evokes a vivid uh, thought you know, comes to one's mind. When you think of troubles, you usually think of something that's uh, you know, terrible. Something unpleasant is a trouble. Yeah. And um, you know, it brings a sense of need or lacking yeah. And um, everyone in, in their life is going to have trouble. We're going to experience some type of trouble, some type of adversity. Yeah, whether we are serving the Lord or, or not, we are going to encounter um, adverse circumstances. However, however, what the world labels merely as troubles or problems, they have a far greater meaning for Christians who are familiar with the concept of trials. Yeah. Uh, so what is troubles? The dictionary defines troubles as a condition of being in need of immediate assistance or to disturb the mental calm and contentment. Something that disturbs your peace can be troubles. You know, the main difference between troubles and trial is God's purpose for intervention. You know, or our response to troubles and adversities are very revealing. It tells us what's going on inside. So I just want to repeat that too. The main difference between troubles and trials is God's intervention in the midst of it. When a person is going through troubles um, um, for the unbeliever, it may be troubles. For the believer, it's trials. And I'll explain the difference later. Okay. The, um, the Puritan writer Horatio Bonard said regarding the Christian journey, he said this, for the way is rough, and the desert blast is keen. Who of them can say anything regarding their prospects here, except that tribulation awaits them in every place as they pass along? Th- this quote echoes the word of Christ as he prayed, as he prepared his disciples, and continued to pe- prepare him for today. So, in other words, in John. 1633, Christ says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulations, or sometimes troubles. But he says, he doesn't stop there, he says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And even, even before Christ has said that, even long before that, that statement was said by Christ, um, it was mentioned about the certainties of troubles in the Old Testament. If you turn over to Job 5, it says, Yet a man is born to troubles as the sparks fly upward. So even Job realized, too, that um, you're going to have troubles just as sure as sparks fly upward. And I don't know if you ever created a campfire or something and you threw wood on the fire, and as it's burning, you see as soon as the wood hits the fire, the sparks fly up. It's, it's going to happen. So that's the same thing, you know, Job is saying here, that men, if you're born, or not only men and women, but if you're born, you're going to have troubles. And troubles can affect us uh, both physically and mentally. You know, they range from minor inconveniences to major life-changing events. Some examples of trouble, 
might be um, your car breaks down, you know, and you need to get to work. Or in a personal situation, you have two cars. And before you can get the other one fixed, before you get one fixed, the other one breaks down. Now you have no way of getting to work. You know, that's a trouble, okay? That's a, that's a trouble. Another example, too, is that um, you might, uh, you just bought a house, and you're ready to settle down, and you're going to furnish the house and everything, and then all of a sudden your job lays you off. Now you might find yourself in financial trouble. Or house, or, or what about this one? Everything seems to be going well. You've got a successful job. Um, you know, you've got a nice house, boat, whatever it is, and you're doing well. And then finally you go in for a checkup, and you're, and you're suddenly diagnosed with a chronic or terminal illness. Now you've got physical troubles there. And these are just some of the examples. I mean, if you look at it, our prayer list is filled with, you know, um, with a lot of concerns you know, for sources of distress, disturbances, difficulties, etc. You just look at a prayer list, everybody has troubles. You know. But what causes troubles? What are some of the causes of troubles? You know, it's important for us to note that, that the sources or the causes of troubles uh, is, comes from uh, different things. And I'm going to give you four different things that they come from. One of them is natural disasters. Okay, troubles can be caused by natural disasters. In fact, you turn to Genesis 3.17. And Jimmy, I'm going to ask Jimmy Ryan if he can read that for me. 3.17. So, because, so Adam, because he disobeyed, he had some trouble. He was in trouble with the Lord. And, in, um, and we find similar in Romans 8.28. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So when Adam sinned, both mankind and the earth were punished. And as a result, we experienced natural disasters, yeah, such as hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, droughts, extreme temperatures, tsunamis, <laughs> um, volcanoes, and floods. Yeah, and we know about floods here at this church because remember, you know, we've had our share of troubles, especially from a natural disaster like a flood. You know, so therefore, you know, natural disaster is still part of life today. It's going to happen. I, you know, that's that's one of the causes of trouble is a natural disaster. A second cause of trouble, or sometimes called adversity, because anytime you think of trouble, they go together. Or adversity is the flesh. When it's, it's the flesh, our flesh can get us into trouble especially if we are disobedient to God. Uh, consider Jonah. You know, Jonah was a prophet of God, and, um, and the situation he placed himself into, Jonah placed himself in a bad situation. And a lot of you know the, know the story of Jonah, but for those that you don't, um, 
you know, basically God asked Jonah to do something to go and speak to the Ninevites and so on. And Jonah disobeyed. And I'm going to ask our Brother Tim, if you can read Jonah, verse one, Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Jonah disobeyed God. God specifically gave Jonah a command. He said, go speak to the Ninevites and tell them that I'm going to bring trouble upon the Ninevites. Jonah disobeyed, disobeyed God. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because um, um, when you look at where Jonah was supposed to go and where Jonah started to head, they're on opposite sides of the globe. You know, but God has a strange way of uh, bringing us back uh, to where he wants us. Yeah. Um, the flesh, you know, in our disobedience to God causes trouble for us and others. You know, how many families have been torn apart, um, you know, by selfish decisions of one member or another, you know, who often takes matters into their own hands to accomplish their, what they think is best? You know, too often uh, with, uh, you know, when we are making decisions, do we really consider the impact it's going to have on others? Do we consider what God's will is you know, in our decision. Um, you know, how many times we function on our own and get ourselves into trouble because we didn't wait for the Lord or because we didn't consider uh, what God was, um, was saying or what God wanted us to do. And unfortunately, there's still other causes of trouble. And that one is Satan. Um, I know we don't like to mention that, but however, uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, sinking whom he may devour. And in Job 2.7, it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. So Satan, you know, so Satan and his demons was causing trouble, even causing trouble for, um, you know, for Job. Yeah. And um, I'm sure you're well aware of the role that Satan played in the Garden of Eden. Remember Satan entered the serpent and, um, you know, he spoke to Eve and he questioned God's authority and so on. And Eve, um, you know, yielded to her own desires, took the fruit, gave some to Adam. And before you know it, the whole world is plunged into trouble. Yeah. Um, today, you know, people are afraid or unwilling to admit that even events might be uh, demonically inspired. You don't hear that a lot, but some things are. Just look around our, um, the war, the jihad, okay, which is called the holy war. That's an attack against God. Yeah, um, yeah. And of course, that is demonically inspired. Yeah. Um, the scripture you know, confirms that you know, in the passage of Job that Satan is still on the move. And when we underestimate or overestimate um, the power of Satan's involvement, you know, we can easily fall into a trap, to his trap, or we can easily fall into trouble. Yeah. And lastly, or number four, there's another one. 
um, that, that still that causes trouble for us. And that is the world. In uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, it states, Yes, all who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Okay? Persecution there, of course, is many troubles. Yeah? It, it is no secret that we will encounter opposition from the world as we seek to accomplish God's will. The mere mention of the name of Jesus is not often well received. You, though our society it, it boasts on its tolerance, you know, this name, as well as evangelical Christians, are not tolerated in many circles. People openly express antagonism towards Christ and his gospel and as presented through his people. Too often we hear that, oh, let's be tolerant, we should be tolerant of this, we should be tolerant of that. I put it this way, I think from the world's perspective, they are tolerant of everybody except if you're not tolerant of them. You know, let's, let's face it, we have uh, all types of lifestyles and desires and something. If somebody cannot tolerate your lifestyle, then the world wants to have nothing to do with you. Uh, but all of, all of these sources of adversities are, are troubles, and troubles or trials can be used by God who places the believer in a situation where they are in immediate need of assistance because their peace is disturbed. So God may use a, tr a situation or a trouble, okay, um, or he may place you into a situation where you're in trouble, so now you can start to depend upon God. You know, and, uh, because let's face it, if you don't have troubles, do you really think about God if you don't have trouble? If, if, if everything is going smooth in this world, do I really need God? That's the question you can ask yourself. Or hopefully the answer for believers is yes, even despite our goodness. You know, we still need God because when we die, we're going to need a Savior. Well, before that, excuse me. Before that, we need a Savior because we are sinners by nature. So we still need God. Yeah. And so really, so then, you know, this brings us to a question too. What is the purpose of troubles? And the purpose of our troubles, you know, helps us to mature. It, it, the purpose of your troubles helps you to grow as a Christian. Um, Romans 5, uh, 1 and 4 says, Romans 5, verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have ordained or our introduction by faith in this grace which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And, this, and verse 4 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. All right, so he's mentioning here, and that's Paul talking here too, that we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And in James 1, verses 2 and, and 4, we read, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. 
You know, so, and you know, I'm going to take a few moments. Let me explain what it means by counting it all joy. How does somebody count it all joy? I'm going through a difficult time. You know, uh, my child is sick. My car is broke. Uh, the, you know, the heat's out. You know, it's cold outside. Um, you know, whatever. You know, all these different types of troubles. How do you have joy in that? How do you find joy in knowing that your loved ones are sick and so on? Uh, see, see here what James is talking about, he's not talking about a joy in terms of happiness and being all excited. Because let's face it, these are the things that I mentioned, those are difficult things. Those are sorrowful things. So, so I don't think God is talking about being happy and overjoyed that, oh, oh, you know, the house is on fire. Oh, let me be happy. Let me have joy. You know, uh, that can't be it. It can't be. So what is James really saying? He's got to be telling us something deeper than the, the surface level. And that's what it is. He's pointing something deeper out. What, what James is referring to here is that in spite of all of your circumstances, in spite of everything also, you can have a joy and contentment in your stand with the Lord, where you are in Christ Jesus. And so it's not a, it's not a state of being happy. It's a position on where you are in, in spiritual position. I'm happy, I'm content in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, because in Christ Jesus, I know who he is. I know his sovereignty, I know his attributes, I know his faithfulness. And in knowing all that, and yes, I know I'm a child of God. And in knowing all that, I know that he is in control of my circumstances. He can keep me in them, or he can take me out of them. But either way, you know, I know who he is. And doing that, knowing God and having that relationship with God, I can have a joy which is a continuous process where, where happiness is just something that's momentarily and then it's gone. Joy is continuous. So, yeah, so when we count it, when we're talking about counting it all joy, we're not talking about counting these circumstances as being happy. We're talking about looking at who you are and knowing that in the end, God is going to bring you through. In the end, I am a child of God and God is going to be the one, you know, who's going to take care of the situation. Yeah. And, um, also, and further on in James 2, it says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Now, you've got to be careful of the word lacking nothing because when you first think about it, when you first comes to mind, lacking nothing, that means that, well, God is going to give me everything that I want. And true, and, and I can use, let's see, I can use a Lexus, I can use a boat, I can use a bigger house because <laughs> after all, I need this place to keep my Lexus and my boat. You know, so, so, so is God going to give me all that? Because it says here in the scripture, okay, that I may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Unfortunately, it's not about things, okay? Just the same thing as the joy is not about our circumstances. The lacking nothing is not about the things that we get from God. The lacking nothing here is about God giving us everything that we need to serve him. Everything that we need to please God. So you can't go to God, when you stand before God on Judgment Day, you can't go to God and say, oh God, if I only had um, Bible knowledge like Pastor Harris, I would have served you. Or if I only had Bible knowledge like, I don't know, someone else, I would have done this. Oh God, if, you only, if only you would have blessed me and made me 10 feet taller, you know, then, I, then I would have been able to wash the windows for the church or whatever it might be. You can't, you can't go to God and say that. Okay, because God has given you everything you have. So even if you have just a little knowledge, even if you just, you know, just a new believer, you have what you need to serve the Lord. And because remember something, it's not about you. 
It's about God, and God has given us everything we need. In fact, in 2 Peter, verse 1, uh, 2 Peter 1, chapter, verse 3, he reads, And his divine power has given us to all things that pertain to life and godliness through him who called us by glory and virtue. All right? So in other words, it, even Peter was telling us that God has given us everything um, you know, it, um, through, through, godly, through his knowledge. Excuse me. He's given us everything through his knowledge. And he has called us by the glory and his virtue so that we are not spiritually deprived uh, while serving the Lord. We have everything we need in this world to serve him. And David in Psalms 23 recognized that God is his provider, but David put it in the context of a shepherd. Um, you know, um, and, he, and he states, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Think, read from the NASB. And, and it, just understand something about a shepherd. You know, a shepherd is, a per, is one who cares about their sheep, who takes care of the sheep, who provides for the sheep, who also protects the sheep from danger. And in the same way, God does that for his children. We are God's children. And God will protect us. He cares for us. He provides for us. Um, but God does not let us, in just the same way as a shepherd, he doesn't let us run off on our own. Sometimes God may let us do that, but only for God's purpose. Just as a shepherd may, may see a sheep going astray, and he may let that sheep go just for a little bit. But then, as sooner or later, he's going to use the rod to bring them back. You know, he's going to use the rod to bring them back. God will let us go, but so far before he... Um, before he brings us back, you know, and David realized this. David realized this. He meditated upon the faithful actions of God in the midst of life circumstances. David understood that, you know, through peaceful times and even in the presence of his enemy, that God is sufficient. It, um, God, David recognized that even God's wrath or in his, you know, that God's rod and his staff, meaning that God may sometimes chasten David, you know, that, that it eventually will lead to, to David's um, own spiritual comfort. David, David, you know, eyes were open, and he realized that even if God punished me, that it's going to be eventually for my good, you know. And sometimes that's a hard pill for us to swallow because nobody likes punishment at first. You know, and just think about this. If you love your children, a, a good parent loves their children, is going to discipline their children. They're going to set limits. Because you have to set limits. Suppose you lived on the eighth floor, the ninth floor, and your child decides he can fly and wants to go flying out the window. Are you going to let him do it? There's got to be a limit. You know, if you love your child, you will set limits. And, uh, but, and even though they don't seem pleasant at first, but in the end, it's for their good. Mm -hmm. Troubles or trial are used uh, of God to accomplish God's eternal purpose. If you turn over to Romans 8, most of you probably can quote the scripture anyway. Romans 8, 28 and 29. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So here, from reading here, you understand that the purpose here is that we become more like Christ. Christ wants to conform us to his image. 
here. And we need to become more like them. And trials will do that, will help us conform. In fact, um, Bonart said, Horatio Bonart said, it was God's purpose from the beginning, not merely to redeem for himself a people out of the world of sinners, but to bring that people into a particular relationship to himself. So even Bonart realized that too. But Bonart is saying that God didn't just save us from our sin and deliver us from hell, but he also purposed that we should be Christ-like. See? And then as, as Christ became like, um, like us in the weakness of flesh, in a weakness of flesh um, God also desires that we become like Christ in spirit. Now, how do we become like Christ? Well, this means that um, we would have to be subjecting our wills to the will of God, no longer living um, to please ourselves, but to pleasing God. And also it means that we have to be willing to, to sacrifice just as God has sacrificed for us. Yeah. Um, if, we, if we think back, um, we refer back to Jonah, the example of Jonah, we remember that the ship was, um, was nearly destroyed and Jonah had to be thrown overboard and, and because of his disobedience. Yeah. And then because of that, Jonah found himself in the belly of a fish. I don't think it's a pleasant place to be. I never want to be there. I don't want to find out. I just know. <laughs> and Jonah, and notice this, it took um, Jonah three days to probably realize Jonah was in a very, that Jonah was in some serious trouble. You know, um, but God had a purpose for Jonah from the very beginning anyway. You know, God's purpose for Jonah was for Jonah to obey God in spite of his dislike for Ninevites. Jonah disliked or hated Ninevites so much that he realized, and, and, and it tells us in the story of Jonah, if you ever get a chance to read it, but Jonah hated the Ninevites so much that he realized that if he goes and preaches to the Ninevites, that God might be merciful and just and spare them, and Jonah couldn't stand that. Jonah would rather die than to see the Ninevites saved. Okay? But that wasn't, but, but that wasn't God's plan. God's plan from the very beginning was to relent and show mercy to the Ninevites. Yeah. But Jonah disobeyed God, and of course, um, Jonah you know, was, got into trouble, and he caused trouble for, for everybody else. Yeah. Um, all the people on the ship were almost nearly lost their lives, etc., you know, um, but here's brings up an interesting point. When we disobey God, you know, it, we can bring chastisement upon ourselves and that chastisement can affect other people because that's what happened to Jonah on the ship. Jonah was the one that disobeyed, but but yet everybody else was in trouble. And if you remember um, what Brother Tim had read too, where they cast lots and saw who caused this trouble upon them. And then they realized, too, that it was Jonah that, that caused the trouble. It was Jonah's disobedience um, that caused chastisement upon Jonah, but it also affected others. The same thing can happen within, within a family. You can, within a family, if the, the parents are doing something, they can do something so wrong that it affects the children. And not intentionally, but it does. As we go through trials, we go, you know, um, we should be growing in areas of our lives that reflect the image of God. Yeah. Um, so trials are designed, the purpose of the trials are designed is to help us to reflect God's image. Yeah. Such as um, as we go into a trial, when we come through the trial, we should, we should have some type of attribute of God that now you can see. We may become um, more righteous. In other words, we're going to strive real hard not to do wrong for people. 
We also could become more loving, you know, and demonstrating God's agape love for us. Um, God gave his love for us sacrificially. Are we going to give our love sacrificially for someone else? Well, a trial may help us do that. You know, you may go through a trial in a situation where, okay, you were not very loving or all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're sick or something and nobody is coming to visit you. Nobody is talking to you. And then you find out, why is nobody coming? You know, they know I'm sick. Why is that? Maybe you weren't loving towards them, you know, and you may realize that as you start to pray that maybe, maybe I need to change something in me. And as you go through that trial, then you realize a change so that now if somebody is sick, guess what? You probably be the first one to go visit them. Yeah, because God has now changed you or used your circumstances you know, to change something in your life that will demonstrate an attribute of God. Yeah. Um, another purpose of, of our trials and troubles is that they tend to prove our genuineness in our faith. They tend to test our faith. Yeah. Um, when we go to a trial, it's going to test us. And that's what, that's what happened. And uh, turn over to 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Reading from uh, verse 6 and 7. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, as a result of our troubles and trials, the genuineness of our faith becomes more evident. You know, God already knows the result of the trial, but he's going to be gracious and allow you to know your weaknesses and your strengths. And you probably wouldn't have realized that until you went through a trial, until you went through a difficulty. Because one thing I'll tell you that trials do, trials will make us take inventory of ourselves. It will make you stop in your tracks and go, why me, Lord? Why is this happening? You know, or whatever. It makes you think about it. You know, so that's one thing. And as you think about it, too, you can perhaps start to realize your strengths and your weaknesses and areas in which you need to grow. In fact, Job went through a trial, and Job was tested. And he was put through a trial. However, during Job's trial, um, you know, he had a bunch of troubles. Okay? And um, if you turn over to Job chapter 1, most of you know the story, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... Uh, just to give you the gist of it, Job, Job chapter 1, starting at verse 12, we're just describing some of the troubles that, that Job went through. And the, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, indeed they killed the servant with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
while he was still speaking. So notice this. I mean, he's getting all of these things are coming to him. And before the messengers could even finish, there's more trouble coming. Verse 18. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and, and it fell on the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job had a lot of trouble. He lost everything he had and which could be a matter of moments. You know, um, he lost his family, he lost his sheep, he lost everything. And despite, despite all of Job's trials, his troubles, the scripture says in, in um, Job one twenty two, it says, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Because I can tell you something, that is the tendency for us to do. The first time we have troubles is we blame God. Why did God let this happen? Why did God do this? Why did God do that? We, give God, we, we, you know, we blame God for things that he didn't do. You know? um, and, uh, and here, Job being a faithful man, did not blame God, nor did he not sin. So what is the proper response when you're going through troubles? What is the proper response for adversities? I think it's listed in Job 120. Is it, is it, so after Job got this report of all these troubles that happened, it says, then Job arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. Wow. Job worshipped in the midst of his troubles. He worshipped God. The idea of shaving his head and tearing his clothes, he humbled himself before the Lord, you know, and he worshiped God. And then later, too, you find in um, the last chapter, Job 42, in verse 2, Job realized something. He says here, it's written here, I know that you can do all things, referring to God, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Okay, so God is recognizing that God can do all, I mean, Job is recognizing that God can do all things. Job realized more of God's character. Job understood um, uh, the sovereignty of God. And then he, I think he states it a little clear in verse 5 of 42, verse 5. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see thee. Therefore, I retract and repent and in dust and ashes. So what he's saying here in this statement He's, he's making a pronouncement of, the great, of his greater uh, reverence and his greater understanding for God. He's talking about how, he's, you know, how he now sees was how, how God has been working in his life. Before, God didn't, before Job didn't see it. Job did not know that he was going through a trial at the time he was going through it. He didn't know that. But now he sees and he understands how God moved in his life. You know, Jonah... Um, Jonah had the proper response also. However, Jonah was forced into his proper response because Jonah didn't respond properly until he was in the belly of the fish. And if you turn over to Jonah uh, chapter 2, 7. Jonah 2, verse 7. Now, Jonah is an interesting character. I, um, I kind of admire Jonah. Because of, you know, his hatred was so bad. Um, it's not here in this particular uh, verse, but it, a little bit further before, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but a, a little earlier in the chapter, um, it 
took Jonah almost three days for, before he decided to pray. You know? But in verse 7 it says, uh, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to, to you into your holy temple. All right. So Jonah had to be so low and down and out. He thought he, I guess he finally thought or, that he was going to die. Then he remembered the Lord. I'm hoping that our troubles and our trials don't bring us to this point. Don't, bring, don't let your trials and troubles bring you to this point, um, you know, bring you to the point of death before you remember the Lord, be, you know, before you just start praying, before you start worshiping God. Remember, the ultimate purpose for the, for the troubles and, and adversities is for the praise and the honor of God. God is going to put us through the trials, but it's for the praise and honor of him. So hopefully it's not going to, you're not going to have to wait until you're down and out and hopeless before you give God an honor and praise. You know, the proper response to troubles and, and trials is prayer and worship of God. That's what Job did. Job worshiped. And Jonah prayed. Those are the pro Job also prayed too. But those are the proper responses, um, you know, to trouble. But Jonah, Jonah and, and Job, they both um, had a relationship with the Lord. They both walked with the Lord, and they and and the Lord did deliver them from their trials. He well delivered them through their trials. Yeah. Remember what we read in James? It says, "Count it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials." Yeah. Job was able to rejoice in the midst of the trial because he learned not to focus on the circumstances, but on the Lord. Yeah. And that's what we should do. Therefore, we shouldn't focus on the circumstances of our trial. If we focus on how bad the condition is, how bad it really is, and so on, you know, we're going to let those uh, trials make us feel faint-hearted. We're going to let those tr trials drive us um, to a point where we may become ineffective as a Christian. But, 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 but Job focused on the Lord. You know, and we as Christians should also focus on the Lord. The Lord should be the object of our focus, even though we're going through trials. In fact, um, in the book of Habakkuk, in the Old Testament, um, we can see an example where Habakkuk focused on the Lord because, um, because God revealed to Habakkuk that, he was gonna, that there was going to be some impending cal calamity, that trouble was going to come. So if you turn over to Habakkuk, you know, Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. Now I do want to say this. Initially when um, Habakkuk found out that there was calamity was coming, he was a little bit sorrowful. And that's okay. The idea, we, we are human beings. We're going to be emotional. We're going to be sorrowful. And that's going to be fine. But it's not, the, the, the idea is we can be sorrowful but we keep our focus on the Lord. We don't let that, we don't drown in our sorrows. You know, it is, it is a proper thing to do. Yes, we do mourn for a loss of a loved one, but do we become ineffective? Do we forget about the Lord? The idea, we must maintain the proper um, response to these troubles. We must remember the Lord. We must worship, we must pray, give honor and glory to him. Am I going to stop going to church because God let something bad happen to me? Okay, I might stop going to church because I'm waiting um, for God to fix my car. You know, that type of thing. We cannot do that. We're not going to drown in our sorrows as believers. Um, and Habakkuk, Habakkuk was sorrowful, but then it says here, uh, 3, 17 and 19, it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, 
Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on high hills. So even Habakkuk said that even though I'm going through troubles, I'm going through trials, and so it says, I will rejoice in the joy of the God, and which is his salvation. Yeah. What is your response to troubles? Think about that. What is your response? Is, your, is it one of praise and honor to, to God? Because that's what it should be. Our response to trouble should be one of praise, honor, glory to God. You know, as it's stated in First Peter, First Peter one seven, as we read earlier too, we should be giving glory to God. Um, you know, because those troubles are making us more mature. They're bringing us to a deeper relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Um, when we come through a trouble, when we come through it. Do you have a greater appreciation for who God is? I know all of us have faced troubles before, but ask yourself that question. Do I now have a greater appreciation for God? Can I now trust him a little bit more? You know, um, when you come to a trouble, are you encouraged to worship God more, just as, as Job did? Job worshiped God even in the midst of the trouble. Can we worship God in the midst of the trouble, or are we going to let our circumstances get us down? You know, um, do we want... You know, the pleasures and ease that we have to hinder us um, from worshiping God. You know, if, see, because what happens is sometimes when people are um, having all this comfort and everything is going well, you get too busy to go to church. I can't go to church because I'm too busy. Or I got to fix my house so I can't go. I got to paint. I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, when you have it, everything is, is going well. There's so many excuses that come up for not, for not worshiping. But you let trouble come, and boom, church is crowded. Perfect example, 9-11. Or should I say 9-12? 9-12, because after 9-11, churches were packed. Why? Because America had trouble for the first time. Yeah. And, um, but, and churches were packed. But then when everything started to calm down and all this started to settle down, how come the churches are not packed anymore? See? When we've we got to have the proper response, what is the proper response to adversity? Are we going to give God praise? No. Are we going to give him the honor? Are we going to give him the glory? You know, ask the question, if it was left up to you, would you sacrifice your secure way of life you know, um, for, to, to experience the joy of going through a trial? And I'm referring to the joy of the Lord by going through a trial. Are you willing to give up your ease, your comfort, um, for knowing God better, but you knew that God is going to put you through trials. If God told Job, Job, he says, Job, I give you a choice here. I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you go through all of these trials here, um, or, you know, or you could just, um, you know, you could just be on easy street, you know, but you can't have me on easy street. Can't have God on easy street. What would, what do you think? What, what is the decision? What would you, what would, what, what is the right thing to do? As a believer, hopefully, we should choose God. Because in the midst of it, God is going to make us better. And God did that for Job. No. Um, the proper response to adversity is to take it to the cross. Job worshiped God. 
Jonah prayed, and we need to do the same. But you've got to have that relationship with the Lord. How are you going to make it through a trial if you have no hope? Jesus Christ is our hope. We put our faith and our trust in the Lord. We know that the Lord can bring us through. You know? But even if he chooses not to, we can still trust him. We can still give praise and honor to God. Yeah. Those that don't have Christ, what do they do? What do you do if you don't have Christ and you're going through trouble? Do you get angry? That's not going to help because it ain't going to solve the problem. You know? um, do you worry? Do you panic? No. What do you do when you find yourself in immediate need of assistance or your mental, mental calm is certainly disturbed? Will you turn to the Lord? Will you confess that, that God's way is the best way? Yeah. That's the thing to do. We need to confess that God's way is the best way. Will you confess that you've sinned against him? Yeah. But it starts with the right relationship with the Lord and the proper response to adversity. Let's pray. Father and I, God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, because, Lord, even though you put us through trials and difficulties, Lord, we realize that in the end, all things do work together for the believer, for your good, Lord, for your purpose. Lord, we just pray that in the midst of it, we would learn to give you honor and glory, that we would learn to worship you despite our circumstances, that we would not focus upon them, but that we would focus upon you. Oh, Lord, I just pray and hope, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be more like your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to, to be able to, to stand up in the midst of trouble and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.